Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, but our show is not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program celebrating New York's history, texture, and vibe. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, you know, we bring an individual New York neighborhood to life. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On some shows like tonight, we celebrate an interesting and vital color of the city and maybe its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, you've heard us cover topics as diverse and illuminating as presidents who came from New York, who who, uh, lived here at some point in their lives. We've looked at the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement. We've looked at the history of different immigrant communities, including people who were brought here enslaved. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored bicycles and cycling. They've been here for more than 200 years. We've looked at the history of punk and opera. Those are separate shows, by the way. By the way, we've looked at our library systems. We actually have three in this incredible city that we're in. We visited the subway, public art, visited our greatest train stations, and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and other services. Today is one of those special shows where we're not going to journey to a neighborhood, but we're going to look at something in New York that's particular to the city, but a very uh, something that's vital to the color and vibe of our city. And I'm calling this episode number 113, Photography New York Style. Uh, we have two great photographers with, with us, and we're going to look at photography through the eyes of two different kinds of, um, of institutions. One is with an institution that is well-established with a photographer who runs programs. And my second guest will be a photographer who has his own gallery, but uh, I wouldn't say is quite as institutional as the organization of the first guest. Um, my first guest is David Campany. David is a curator, writer, and managing director of programs at the International Center of Photography here in New York. David has worked worldwide with institutions, including MoMA here in New York, the Tate, that's in London, the Centre Pompidou, that's in Paris, the Stadelic Museum, which is in Amsterdam, the Photographer's Gallery in London, the National Portrait Gallery in London, and many others. David is an author. His many books include On Photographs. That's the most recent. It was published in 2020. Another is So Present, So Invisible, Conversations on Photography, A Handful of Dust, The Open Road, Photography in the American Road Trip, Photography and Cinema, and Art and Photography, just to name a few. David has written hundreds of essays from monographs and museums. David has a PhD for his writing. He's received the International Center of Photography Infinity Award, the Krasner Krauss Book Award, the Alice Award, a Deutsche Photo Buchpreis, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, my German's a little rusty, and the Royal Photographic Society Award from the United Kingdom. David Campany, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Hello, Jeff. It's great to be here. Gosh, bios are funny, aren't they? They sound so impressive. Just inside, one just feels like a bunch of curiosities and enthusiasms. But when you reel it off like that, it just sounds like another person. Anyway. Well, no, it's you're, you're quite accomplished. In fact, sometimes I surprise myself. I speak at conferences sometimes, and when people read my bio, I'm just I'm just an estate agent. It's like, really, I've done all that stuff. It's, it's hard to believe sometimes. There should be a ban on bio reading because it makes people sound so remote. <laughs> well, you're a little remote because you're broadcasting from London. Uh, I am. Oh, I'm, yes. Yeah. And I'm going to guess from your accent that you're from the United Kingdom originally. What part of the UK you're from? Uh, I'm from just outside of London, Essex. So that's where the Thames, the river that runs through the city meets meets the mm-hmm. city. I lived in London for a long, long time and then moved to New York in what turned out to be a week before COVID to join ICP. Wow. Wow. When did you first become interested in photography, David? I think that was actually on a, um, a family vacation to Disney World, Miami. And uh, I insisted I was to take the family photograph. So I'd have been about 10 or 11. And towards the end of the vacation, I actually lost the camera and all of the film. And I remember my mother declaring that it was as if we hadn't taken the vacation at all. And I thought, wow, photography, (coughs) excuse me, photography is powerful. 
so even the absence of pictures was powerful, maybe more powerful than any any photographs I actually took on that trip. But that made me that made me take it seriously. That I then fell in love with cinema, and from cinema cinema I fell in love with film stills, and then kind of backed into photography that way. Um, and it's it's never left me that that uh, that fascination with what they are and how they communicate, and you know they're always partly documents but they're partly artworks <laughs> they're kind of enigmatic fragments of things um fascinating and you also teach photography yeah i taught from quite a young age and actually that, <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> that was actually part of the attraction for joining icp because um, over the years, I've developed a background as an educator, but also as a curator of exhibitions and a writer, publisher. And ICP has all of those things with under its umbrella. So my role is within um, the gallery and gallery programming, uh, but also the public talks. And uh, I have, a, <coughs> excuse me, I have a role in the school as well. So uh, it was a perfect fit for me. And how old were you when you first came to New York, David? And you said you went to a Disney as a 10-year-old. When was your first trip to, to this amazing city <laughs> living there? When I first came in 1989. I was, I was an undergrad, and uh, I actually taught just in, in Massachusetts, in, in, uh, taught photography in a summer camp. And uh, after the camp, uh, I, I decided I would spend a few weeks, turned into a month or so in the city of New York and just photographed every day, just explored the city on foot, took endless pictures. I knew it's history in photography. You know, you, I mean, everybody in in the world, even if they're not interested in photography, know, knows pictures of New York, knows how much of a kind of imaged city it is so it takes a while i think for first visitors to kind of overcome the the idea that it's kind of preceded by its image and it actually puts a lot of serious photographers off even trying to make images of new york because uh there are so many of them and the standards are set so high and you know some of the best pictures ever made were made in new york uh, particularly within the history of street (coughs) street photography um but, yeah, I got used to it. I got used to it. Well, unlike our, our, our second guest who spent uh, his formative years in New York, and that um, might have shaped his photography, which we'll ask him about in, in his segment, um, you didn't. Why do you find New York is such an amazing place for, for photography, David, as someone who started shooting here and living here as an adult? It's unpredictable. Um, it's very concentrated. Uh, the light is fantastic and the people are amazing. And I think if you put all of those things together, that kind of churn and that kind of energy just produces, you know, occasions for picture making. And that, that might be within documentary. It might be within architectural photography or, or fashion photography. Um, and so there's something kind of innately theatrical about New York. Um, it, it feels like a stage set for its own existence somehow. It's a, it's a thoroughly image conscious place in, in that sense. Um, and it, it, it's, it's almost too tempting to take pictures in a way. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I often wonder just how many pictures are being taken every, every minute in, in the city. And, and to try to compare that to other cities, I knew New York must be one of the one of the highest, one of the most intensely photographed of places. I would I would have thought. It's also so varied. You know, I'm from London, and you can you can walk half a mile, and you're in a neighbourhood of a completely different character, and, and 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 that's the same in New York. That I think that's quite unusual to have you know cities of that scope. Uh, and that kind of intensity and, and density, but also that that variety that changes. You know, you can walk two blocks in New York and you feel like you're in a completely different city. Um, mm-hmm. 
That's one of the reasons I, I do the program about because uh, because of the neighborhoods of New York. You know, one thing I will say about London, though, and this is one of the things I love about it, having lived there um, in some form of my formative years, was, you know, the mile after mile of incredible Georgian architecture and just that whole classical, you know, you can go from neighborhood to neighborhood and it's just really, really beautiful. Um, let's talk about the International Center of F- F- Photography. When did it start? started in 1974 so we're actually approaching our 50th anniversary and it comes about at a very interesting time and a lot of the institutions of photography that are now really on the map came into being around that time late 60s early 70s and <clears throat> and is also is is this also around the world and not just in the states where uh, yes and i think it I, I mean there were a number of factors it's partly the art world getting interested in photography but it was also i think to do with uh, a kind of slight eclipse of photography i mean for much of the tw- 20th century photography was really the center of culture but clearly television and video were on the rise and you have you know perhaps the def- defining illustrated magazine <coughs> uh, life magazine which was founded in 1936 actually folds in 1972 just can't sustain itself any longer um, but there's still an enormous energy and interest in photography and it's it sort of shifts slightly towards museum culture and gallery culture Um, So ICP set up in 1974 uh, with a mission to be the champion of socially concerned photography. So it has its roots in a kind of documentary, photojournalistic, reportage practice. Um, But it's really interested in photography that that, uh, perhaps can change the world or adjust people's thinking about the world somehow. Um, and, and in the course of the last nearly five decades, there's been 800 plus exhibitions. And the interesting thing about photography institutions is, um, you know, they're they're cherished by those who like photography. Um, and that means you have an audience that's very local. Um, so for a long part of its history, um, ICP was in Midtown and it's now moved to the Lower East Side. So a big part of our project is establishing a connection very much with the area. Was it uh, first a New York-based institution, David? Yeah, it was always a New York-based institution set up by uh, a guy called Cornell Kappa, brother, photographer himself, but also the brother of Robert Kappa, very famous uh, photojournalist. And uh, it established itself um, as a kind of beacon, as, as a kind of place for debate, for seeing, you know, the most kind of interesting and urgent photography. Um, and also a cultural institution that's dedicated to photography has to, has to stay on its toes, has, has to be reactive to the culture um, around it. Um, and so interestingly, when we moved to the Lower East Side, we opened in January of last year, but by March we closed as most cultural institutions did with the coming of the pandemic. So what does it, what do you do if you're closed? Well, our our renowned school of photography switched online and our public program of debates and discussions switched online. But what do you do with the gallery? Can a gallery even exist online? Well, I I noticed that most museums were putting on virtual tours of the, the shows that they had been forced to close, but that didn't seem quite right for us. I thought we should be connecting with our audience and thinking about what's really going on in the world right now. So we actually launched a, a hashtag, a social media hashtag, ICP Concern, just asking our audience to take and upload images of whatever was going on in their lives. And then what like wildfire? Uh, I mean, currently there are 60, 65,000 images. But in the course of the pandemic, we actually decided to, to make, an, make an exhibition in the space out, out of these images. So a whole bunch of us staff at ICP selected pictures. We re- reached out to photographers, ended up putting on a show of 820 images, 
while the pandemic was was still unfolding um, and we presented the images chrono- chronologically in the gallery. So as you walked around, you walked around through the months of mm-hmm. March, April, May, June, July, August, September, actually finished uh, around November 3rd, the, uh, the date of the, the election. So that, that's a good indication of us, you know, being very much responsive to the times that we're in. But we show historical shows, uh, and we also have a very international sense of what we do. Um, so the ICP Concern Show had had images from 70 different countries around the world. Uh, people look to us to be picking up on what's going on, uh, you know, on different continents. And at the same time, we have a commitment to the neighbourhood that we're in. So it's, it's a, always been a fine balance. And, and you find this in photography institutions all, all around the world that they uh they, they have a kind of uh, following that's international but they, they also are quite rooted in the, the places where their where their buildings are mm. all right we're going to take a short break and when we come back david we're going to continue our conversation um listeners will be back in a moment you're listening to talk radio nyc at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. To rediscovering New York and our episode Photography New York Style. Well, as much as you possibly can talk about photography in New York in an hour's time, which we really can't, but we're going to give it our best shot. Uh, my first guest is David Campany. David is the managing director of programs at the International Center of Photography, not only here in New York City, but on the Lower East Side and on Essex Street. Actually, it's not far away from the gallery of our second guest, but we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Um, David, you've worked with many institutions around the world, including galleries and museums in New York and Paris, London, Amsterdam, and other cities. Um, uh, what attracted you to ICP? Why, why here and why now? It's a, it's a very good fit for me. I mean, it has absolutely glorious galleries in its new 
space. Uh, perhaps the best uh, space is dedicated to photography in, in the city. Um, but also the new building has brought the ICP's school under the same roof. Uh, and that's very unusual um, to, to have a place that's dedicated to exhibiting photography and also educating. And that's been my background. Um, so it's just a lovely role, perfect role for me. Um, and I think there's a very interesting way of experiencing photographs on in exhibition spaces, which now feels very different to how most people experience them, which is which is on screens, perhaps not even in printed matter so much anymore. Um, so I'm really interested in making exhibitions that could only be exhibitions, you know, using the architecture of the space and, and the way an exhibition unfolds as you walk around it um, to really kind of heighten the attention to the image and really um, fold people into it. Um, <clears throat> And uh, it's also nice having curated, as you say, in a kind of freelance way all over the world, often doing no more than one show with one museum. <clears throat> I wanted to put down roots so that you could, I could get used to working in one space, make, make an exhibition, and then maybe in the next cycle of exhibitions, you completely reinvent the space and use it in, in different ways. It's, it's also a really interesting time just in the way that photographers are thinking about presenting their work. You know, it's not like painting, you know, it, when you paint a painting, uh, it's the size that it is when you paint it. When, when you take a photograph, it, ha it almost has no scale. So photographers are interested in really exploring the size of prints or maybe using projection or screens, not just printing them. Um, so just in terms of, making an installation so many things are possible with photography perhaps more than than any other medium um and that's always exciting that's always exciting just to kind of keep pace with the way image makers think are thinking about how they want to present their work um so i'm the kind of curator that takes his lead from what artists and photographers really want to do. So it's a very collaborative institution. So if, if an artist shows with us, um, they're, they're very involved with the whole, with the whole process of how the work gets presented. Yeah. Let's talk about location. I remember the international center of photography being right on sixth Avenue. The, 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 the uh, street level facade was incredibly yeah. uh, uh, present, you know, when it was always there and all of a sudden it wasn't. How did ICP uh, find its new home and, and, and why in the Lower East Side of all places? It's a very different environment from, you know, Midtown and the business district to, to the Lower East Side. It is a different environment, but you know how it is in New York. You know, the cultural energy shifts around all the time. You know, for a long, for a long while it was Chelsea. Uh, and um, I mean, it's partly to do with real estate, but it's but it's also it's also to do with what feels kind of culturally energetic. So we're right on the corner of um, Essex and Delancey. And interestingly, ICP has the um, has the archive of Ouija, you know, the very famous you know New York photographer. Uh, and when we opened, we had uh, we were showing a substantial number of his images from the collection taken in in the Lower East Side. Uh, it's always been an interesting area for artists and photographers. Um, and I think if you, if you set up an institution in a, in a particular place, particularly in, in New York, um, you, you have a chance to be a part of a community while shifting the gravity of the city, the cultural gravity of the city a little bit. So it's a brave move to go from Midtown to, to the Lower East Side. But, you know, ICP has a following. It has a, has a kind of presence. Um, and also just architecturally, it was a, it was a chance to build this you know, absolutely state-of-the-art building, you know, with the most beautiful library and suite of facilities for the school and, and the galleries. So uh, it, it's an incredible place to be in once you step into the, once you step in through the glass doors, um, and you find you're in this kind of citadel for photography. Uh, it's a great feeling. I feel it every time I step in the building. Well, I'm probably less than an amateur photographer. I'm an amateur radio host, but less than an amateur photographer. I'm looking forward to visiting the ICP when I can. David, we have a couple of minutes left. I'd like to talk about the history of ICP's programming. Um, how has it changed over the years? Has it changed over the years? 
Yes, it has. Um, and as I said before, it's always been committed to socially concerned photography. But what counts as that is actually pretty broad. Um, so as that might be documentary and photojournalism, or it might be uh, work that's quite autobiographical in nature, or it might be quite philosophical. You know, there's been a number of shows over the years really asking, you know, what a, what a photograph is, you know, and are can the definition of photography be separated from, let's say, painting or sculpture or performance or writing even? Um, and it's always had uh, ambitious programming, um, but mindful of what you just mentioned, actually, which is the amateur. And the interesting thing about photography is that everyone has a strong relationship to it. Uh, it's never alienating. Uh, Everyone feels they have a stake in photography. Um, and so a photography institution has to be quite mindful of that. Everyone that steps through the door has a really strong opinion about it. Um, and that's great because you're already engaging with something. You're already engaging with strong feelings, strong experiences, strong uh, opinions. I don't think you could say the same of uh, sculpture or painting, let's say, which which feel quite remote to people, especially when they're young. Um so when our young audience comes through the doors, uh, it's, it's photography. It may not be photography quite as they know it, um, but it's definitely photography. And so there's always a, the door is always open in that sense. It's not a, it's not a medium that, that, that puts off uh, a viewer. Um, and that's always been very consistent in the way ICP's thought about it. It's, it's, it might be a high art, but it's also a kind of common practice. It may, it may be done by specialists, but it's also done by everybody. Uh, it's, not, it's not a kind of remote, marginal practice. It's part of people's everyday lives. Um, and that does make it quite special, makes it quite, quite unusual, I think. Um, and, but it's also a challenge, you know, because if you're, if you're trying to put on an exhibition, uh, you're catering to uh, an audience that's already already got quite a strong stake in photography because every because everybody has in a way um, that keeps me on my toes. David, we have a minute left. Um, what kind of programming is ICP going to have over the summer that uh, you would encourage our listeners to to check out either online to find out more about or actually to visit visit yeah. the premises. Oh, well, the show that we have on at the moment is completely glorious. Uh, it runs through uh, to middle of August. It's called But Still It Turns, uh, recent photography from the world. But Still It Turns is actually the phrase that Galileo used when he was forced to recant his observation about the um, circulation of the planets in the heavens. Um, uh, but uh, the show takes that as an idea that life goes on. Life just carries on. And it's a show of uh, nine photographers who photograph everyday life in the United States. Uh, sometimes they're photographing communities that they really know. Sometimes they've arrived from elsewhere and they are encountering and getting to know the world. Um, it's very gentle work. It's all very observational work. And uh, we've worked with the artists to really shape it into a number of almost solo project exhibition. So as you move around the space, you're really entering into the world of an image maker and the community or the place that they're photographing. And then you're stepping out and stepping into another one and then another one. And we mix in video and projected image because often photographers are kind of um, blurring out from the still image in, 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 into the moving image. Um, and it's uh, that's a, been a very strong strand of photography in the US for 20, 20 or so years, um, although it's not shown so much by, by museums. So uh, everyone's excited about the show. Uh, I love watching people come into the space and just absorbing themselves in it. Uh, you know, people stay for an hour, an hour and a half, and just you know really immerse themselves in in these in these visions. It's great to see. And as I say, that runs that runs right the way through the summer. Oh, in, great! Into August. And what's the uh, web address that so people can find out more about ICP? Uh, yeah, we do. It's icp.org. Simple. 
And our physical address is uh, 79 Essex Street. And we're open Thursdays to Sundays at the moment, 11 to 7. All right. Well, David Campany, curator, writer, and managing director of programs at the International Center of Photography in New York in the Lower East Side on Essex Street, a couple of blocks from where I used to live. Thanks so much for being our guest today. A great question. Yeah, thank you. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to spend some time with our second guest, who also has a gallery in the neighborhood. Gallery a little bit different. And he's someone who's been shooting photographs in New York for more than 60 years. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, mortgage specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and staff can be reached at 212-495-495. 0317. You can like the show on Facebook and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles on all three are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me Jeff at rediscovering New York.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I'm indeed a real estate agent or amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is photographer Alex Harsley. Alex has curated the 4th Street Photo Gallery and the Minority Photographers Nonprofit since the early 1970s. His own reported style of photography started in 1958 as the first Black photographer for the New York District Attorney. 
Since that time, he has continued to capture the true intimate moments and personality of New York City. His collection contains the historical lineage of musicians, politicians, street folk, landscapes, and neighbors from the 1950s to the present day. Alex has photographed John Coltrane and Ray Charles at the Apollo, Sarah Vaughan at Birdland, Muhammad Ali, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and Shirley Chisholm's nomination for president. He photographed activists Harry Belafonte, Corita Scott King, Paul Robeson Jr., and Angela Davis when they met for the first time at a benefit in 1972. His documentary medium consists of film, digital photography, and digital sound and video. Perhaps another way to describe him is a as a quintessential New York photographer. Alex Hartley, I'm sorry, yes, Alex Hartley, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. I always say hearty, and I got the name confused a little. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Alex, you were born in North Carolina. Um, when did you move to New York, and what had you moved to the city? I was brought up to be a farmer back in 1940 when I became three years of age. And through that time period, I was basically taught how to be a master farmer. But in 1948, I decided I didn't want to be a farmer anymore. I wanted to basically leave all of that and kind of like get into understanding what was going on in the rest of the world. So at that point, I immigrated to New York City in 1948, and that was the beginning of my, I would say, exploration here in this unusual, wonderful, oversized reality. And it came to me that the lights are on 24 hours a day. So now I could go any place I wanted to at any time of the night and basically take a better look at what New York City is all about on a 24-hour schedule. Not to mention, uh, shoot, having, having 24-hour lights is great for photography. <laughs> always uh, always <laughs> have something to, to, to shoot. How old were you when you first started to shoot photography regularly, Alex? I got into photography, I would say, about 1957, 58, and it basically came all together in 59. So that was my really you know early exploration into understanding the whole nature of the photographic process. Because essentially, coming from the South in terms of the kind of education I got was based in physics that I had no knowledge of. So when I came to New York, I got a better understanding of the whole idea of physics. So now I was able to explore the reality of physics utilizing photography. So I needed subjects. So the subject became a story. In other words, I would look at things that I had no knowledge of and photograph it. So that's how I basically got into understanding the whole nature of, say, life as it kind of like evolved out of New York City, especially in the different type of architectural and different type of environments here in New York City. So as a kid, my favorite thing was to just get on the subway, take a long ride, come up, and then find my way back home by walking. And along the way, I would see all these interesting things. So New York became this very mosaic reality that I got used to. So now when I got into photography, I would be able to go back to those spaces. And now I could see that with the photography, taking pictures of those things and then coming back and storing that information away. So that's how I began to accumulate this, this collection of images. So then I got into photojournalism, and that gave me uh, a free pass into these sacred realities. So now I found myself behind the scenes in these secret realities that very few people got a chance to explore. So that became another part of my documentation. How did you get your position with the district attorney as, as photographer? Uh, when I was born, I was born not out of I would say, plan, I came out of circumstances. So I always worked in that area of circumstances. When something comes up in front of me, I got to be able to deal with it. So when photography came into existence in my mind, it was basically as a child in the South, and they would have this box camera and look down into it, you could see another image. That was my first introduction to photography. 
that other reality that exists in that ground glass. And ever since then, I've been curious as to how that actually worked. And early on, my mother took me and my other brothers and sisters to a photo studio to have a photograph taken of us. I must have been about seven years old at that point. And I was curious as to what happened when this guy went inside the dog and he did something inside this box and came out with a picture. <laughs> I'm asking myself, how did he do that? <laughs> and that was the earlier examples of me, un, you know, say, well, that, that you know, eventually I get around to that. So in 1958, they had photography classes in school. I had no real interest in actually, you know, being a part of the photography club. Because it's, it's always seen photography as somewhat of a, it's like a dividing area between coaches and the have and the have nots. And if you don't, if you couldn't afford photography, it, it, it meant, first of all, you had no real necessity to actually get into doing it. The other area was people just get a camera to photograph their vacations or the family trips or what have you. I had no real connection to any of that because my family already had a box camera that I wasn't allowed to touch. <laughs> <laughs> that was the precious object. Don't get, don't touch that. Don't drop it. <laughs> I remember when I was, when, when I was young, my dad had a Polaroid and also uh, a Kodak uh, uh, eight millimeter camera. I, you know, I couldn't touch him either. You know, it was uh, <laughs> first I got to use the Polaroid and then it was, I think I was maybe 13 when he let me use the, Use the uh, Kodak eight millimeter uh, camera. So, I, by circumstances, I used to come down to Washington Square Park on my bicycle. I'm heavy in the bicycle, by the way. So, I came to, down to park, and somebody said, "You want to buy a camera?" And I'm asking myself, "What do you talk about buy a camera?" So, out of nowhere, I said yes and set up a, an arrangement to go and buy the camera. And once I got the camera, it was, it was like everything else that I had. I had to understand how it worked. So I began to take it apart. And springs and things just popping all over the place. And I realized I had destroyed the camera. So now I have to go and buy me a real camera. So that was my first, first introduction to photography. So now I had to get a photographic book. All the information that was in the book, understand that, go back to the store and ask the guy for all these different things. And got in developed my first roll of film Ooh. in the bathroom. <laughs> bathroom with a red light, no doubt. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break in a minute, Alex. But I wanted to ask you first: um, what subjects did you become interested in after in shooting after your work for the district attorney? It was always about documenting my own personal life, my friends, and other realities that surrounded. I would say whatever was happening in the world at that time. And that became somewhat of a, I would say, a, a, a visual book that I began to put together about my life here in New York City and the different things that I have encountered. Mm. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Alex Harsley, lifelong New Yorker and the founder of the Fourth Street Photo Gallery. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do 
you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. To rediscovering New York and our 113th episode, Photography New York Style. My second guest on this show is Alex Horsley. Alex is the founder and curator of the Fourth Street Photo Gallery on East Fourth Street in the East Village, and also the Minority Photographers Nonprofit, both since the early 1970s. Alex, I'd like to ask you a personal question because I'm guessing that the answer to this helped to shape the artist that you became as a photographer. Did you experience different kinds of racism here in New York compared to what you grew up with in North Carolina? And, and how did that impact your work as a photographer? Uh, that's an interesting um, area to talk about, especially coming from the South in a highly discriminatory environment, while at the same time really understanding how I felt and how I dealt with it personally. To me, it wasn't an issue in terms of, you know, them having that and I'm having that. Drinking separate water fountains, going to the movie house on the, in the balcony. Yeah, I, I, kind of, I kind of like, like that, you know. It gave, it gave the, the culture presence, first and foremost. And, and that, that gave the culture a, 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 a sense of proudness in terms of growth. There was no kind of like thing in front of the growth part of all of that. It was up to you to prove yourself. You could grow and become somebody in that kind of reality. So when I came to New York, it was almost, it was like a, a diffused type of discrimination. Once you got in something that was heavily specialized that required a certain amount of money and a certain amount of education, then all of a sudden you begin to realize that it, that, yeah, that area is heavily, you know, it's it's closed for most black folks. So that became to me not so much as an obstacle, but something to basically to overcome. And the way I dealt with it is like uh, all my friends was of different everything. It was one group, and that group basically communicated with each other. So when I came to New York City, I came into a very diverse neighborhood. It wasn't all black, or all Puerto Rican, or all that, or all that. It was mixed. And we all got along together. In fact, we grew together. So that was always my, I would say, starting point in terms of how I was going to deal with discrimination here in New York City, especially in the photographic area. So in 1971, I got a chance to actually start my own educational institution dealing with that area of discrimination that was getting ready to happen in the art, especially photography, like you. So you, you've only had to take a very uh, a narrow look at what has happened in the arts and culture here in New York City in terms of evil that has taken place over the past four years, dealing with how the culture and the arts was been managed by a specific group of people who basically had no real interest in the undercurrents that was happening in the culture at the, at the time that it was happening. So I took a, a stance and I began to work with different artists who had all these different issues of getting into the system. And over the years, I've been extremely successful in terms of the number of people that I got over that barrier into the system. Two is currently shown at, showing at the Whitney now. Very few people know I'm, the, I'm behind most of those artists who helped them overcome the stuff that they were dealing with at the time of their early career. So now most of those artists that I work with are extremely successful in the area that they chose to be, especially photography. 
But very few people talk about that area of my success dealing with minority photographers. Instead, they prefer to focus on, again, the whole area of black and white. So now it gets into, I see, I hear, it's a, it's a language, okay? You've got to speak the king's language in order to run an institution. But as far as the groundwork, uh, actually working in the whole area for the photographic arts with all different people, all different ideas, that became the Fourth Street Photo Gallery. And over the years, it has provided basically a, a, a platform for all different artists to go either from ICP or back into ICP. Very few people know that, okay? Mm. But that that's what you call, you know, I'm allowed a certain amount of, uh, say, uh, <clears throat> communication in terms of people, how they deal with me as the person. They see me specifically in terms of what they want to see. They don't see my entire history of what I'm really all about in terms of the whole idea of pulling this family of artists together from around the world. They came all the way around the world to get a platform here in order to go back home and become somebody. Mm. That's what I provided here. And this little small crack in the world with no outside support, mind you. Wow. Well, that actually is a great uh, launching point to talk about the 4th Street Photo Gallery. Uh, most people who are going to listen to this will hear us on podcast. Uh, a couple of, well, some will see us on Facebook Live. And Alex is broadcasting from the 4th Street Photo Gallery. And behind him are wall-to-wall photographs that he has taken. Alex, when did you start the gallery? The gallery came out of when I first started Minority Photographers. I was working on a project dealing with urban renewal. I spent pretty close to a year and a half documenting what was going on out in the far Rockaway, a place called Auburn, New York. And once I pulled all that together, including tapes and interviews and all kind of visual impact images of what was happening out there dealing with urban renewal, somebody told me to take it up to uh, Cornell Kappa, who was also a photographer who was working on a project dealing with the, the flower children of Bethesda Fountain. So I took my project to him, and he kind of like said, we don't do that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> I said, well, well, why? He said, no, we don't, we don't do that anymore. So then that's when I got a chance to start my own nonprofit art organization, realizing that, you know, a lot of people go out there and do all these different projects and have no place to take them, especially if dealing with controversial subjects. Yeah. When did you open the Fourth Street Gallery? Uh, after I started the minority photographer at 155 Essex Street, mind you, okay, I began to have shows all over the city, bars, restaurants, theaters, you name it. You couldn't go to no place without seeing a show that I put up. I had a show in different bars. <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, I can imagine. I've seen some of some. I've, I've actually uh, some of the bought art became, from bars uh, from uh, from exhibitions and bars. The work became a little too controversial, so I realized I didn't want to invade that you know their personal space. So then I had to find a, a gallery. So I somebody told me there's a place on Fourth Street. And I came over here and they looked at me and said, "Yeah, sure." So then I knew how the system worked, so I went downtown and sat in for about a month. The guy finally relented and gave me the space up here. So that was the beginning of 4th Street Photo Gallery. That was 1973. So this place was like dust. I mean, like the four inches of dust on the floor, and it hadn't been. been. So I had to clean the place up, get it all straightened up. And by 1974, 75, I was in business. Then it began to, the whole culture began to change down here. And then as it changed, people looking at me, well, what's he doing there? You know, the black guy, how did he get in there? So I'm the pioneer who basically helped open up the Lower East Side, excuse me. Well, your, your gallery is, is quintessentially East Village. Alex, we have a minute left. Time goes so fast. You've want to ask you one question about, something in one of your collections. You've done collections in vintage Harlem, musicians, black political leaders, but also the lower east side of the, in the East Village. Quickly, what is it about the East Village that captured your creative attention? It's the diversity, basically. And the people will to dream and to grow out of that dream and 
get their get their uh, offsprings to move further up into up into the stratosphere of, of having, and not so much you know, you know saying well we live in poverty we live in this dire neighborhood. This has become a very upper middle class neighborhood over that period of time because of people who are able to keep roots in place and grow. And I used to live in the East Village, and then when I moved, I moved up to Harlem. So uh, <laughs> here I am right now. <laughs> Alex, I'm sorry we're out of time. Thank you so okay. much for joining me on this on this program about photography in New York style. Alex is the founder and curator of the 4th Street Photo Gallery. You can find it on East 4th Street between the Bowery and 2nd Avenue. Uh, I visited several times recently. I highly recommend it. Uh, thanks, Alex. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook. That's Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles are Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding, who will actually be one of our hosts on the show next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock. Every Thursday evening, the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc do you love or are you intrigued about new york city and its neighborhoods i'm jeff goodman host of rediscovering new york a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. 
This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 